he, as he ministers to us. And other than that, the stage is yours. Thank you, Rob. Good to be with you all. Thanks, Matt. Ooh. That was fun. <laughs> Rob, did you plan that? <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, it'll work fine. Good. Good to be with you all this morning. Good morning, everybody online and all of you in the building here. My name is Dallas, and I lead a Canadian organization. I'm going to keep a few details off, not because of you, but because of those that maybe aren't watching this morning and are still able to access things online. Um, our organization sends Canadians to the poorest and hardest countries of the world. Um, it's a joy to be with you, uh, representing God's heart. Pray for me that I can do that authentically this morning and with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been a good year. There's been hard things in 2021, but it's also been a good year. And I hope that you've had a chance to pause, stop at some point and reflect on God's goodness to you and your family personally over this last year. Um, I've just been amazed. We had our fundraiser in September and raised twice as much as we expected. It was a double portion. And then we just finished off December, which is an important year in giving for a charity. And again, our numbers doubled what we expected for the first time. Um, Just amazing what God is doing. And we're asking him to double our number of workers that are serving overseas too. We believe that God has a generous heart and he has unlimited resources Christmas is winding down. I hope that you've been able to experience God's peace and joy in the celebrations that you have and whatever traditions that you have at, at Christmas time. I know one of our traditions is making a skating rink in our yard. And so for me, that means pushing over about 50, 50 gallon drums worth of water. Uh, onto our garden area. And once that's done, then we have a, a decent skating area, which is fun. And it makes it worth it. And you can just skate with your family under the Christmas lights. I know Scott does a good job. Where's, is the camera there or is it over here? There, all right. Just want to look at you guys in the eyes. Yeah, so when, Scott, when you do your rink, I know it always looks gorgeous there. Um, it's rewarding to do that. And the best part of making a skating rink is when you're doing it, You get excited when it's freezing. Finally, it's cold. Yes. (laughs) Aren't we weird as Canadians? Normally, I dread that. Last night, I looked at the forecast, and I'm like, awesome. It's going to be minus 19 in a few days. Yes. (laughs) It's so good coming out of minus 30, isn't it? Oh, boy. Something new that we did at our church this year, just speaking of traditions, is a blue Christmas. Just a space for grieving the hard things of this past year. I'm an optimist. I love the lights. I love tinsel. I love pentatonics. But it felt so good to have space just to grieve. It felt authentic. Um, For my wife and I, Christmas was never more authentic in our lives than when we lived in Asia. We would open presents, as you can see me doing in the picture here, um, beneath a a little potted plant that we bought from a a local nursery. Um, There was no commercialism at all in our country, and the mullahs would be aggressively preaching. Nobody is under any circumstances to participate in anything related to Christmas. 
So the whole city was galvanized against anything related to Christmas. So Christmas was unusually quiet for us, except for the occasional bit of gunfire that we would hear. So a very different Christmas experience. And since we were surrounded by neighbors who had never heard the story of Jesus' birth, it felt very special to remembering the first Advent in the country that we were privileged to live in, even while we lived out the incarnation there as a family. Isn't it easy to take our familiarity with the Christmas story for granted? Especially when half the world, literally, has yet to hear it for their first time. So Christmas 2021 is over. And now what? For some people, the end of Christmas is just kind of a slump down into the cold winter months that lack the anticipation and the excitement of the holiday season. For others, the unknowns of our coronavirus time are weighing heavy. It was so good we could have that time of prayer. Taylor, thanks for your prayer for the youth. Dave, Jen, this was such a good time. That's how to move into this. But I wonder, is the coming of Jesus, you know, just a passing occasion where we celebrate with gifts and with gatherings? Or is it an event that's meant to completely redefine our lives? I believe the coming of Jesus does redefine our lives. And I don't mean just saving us from sin, just, but even defining our overall purpose for living. How many of you set goals around New Year's time? Two, three, (laughs) four. (laughs) All right. Four people here set goals. All right. I'll include myself. And there's five of us in the room. Um, Every New Year, I take some time to set some priorities for myself for the next year. Kind of related to my work and my family. I talk it over with my wife. Today's message is titled, Following the Sent One. And we're going to look at how the advent of Christ can inform our goals as we set those for our lives. And you don't have to formally write them down or create a spreadsheet like I do. Even just having some ideas of, okay, this is the stuff I aspire to. By God's grace, I want to achieve this. I want to see this happen. I want to see this realized. Because I'm not going to make the assumption that those of you that didn't raise your hands are living aimlessly. I might be right in one case or two, but for the most part, I think you're purposeful people. And so I believe that the advent of Jesus can really inform as we look into the next year and anticipate what God wants to do in and through our lives. So we're going to look at God's Word today. That's our focus. We're going to look into Scripture, and from there we're going to consider what it means then to be followers of Jesus. Jesus' life didn't start in Bethlehem. In fact, it didn't start anywhere. Jesus existed before eternity. But he didn't just stay outside. God sent him down. He became incarnate. He became flesh. Jesus obeyed God's sending. And he left heaven as history's greatest missionary. And he came into our lost world on a very clear mission. That was to proclaim God's kingdom. To die as a sacrifice so that we could enter that kingdom. To rise again so that he could reign inside of our hearts. He had a very clear mission. Let's hear from John and Luke as they quote Jesus' teaching about the purpose behind his coming, behind Christmas. John 6.38, Christ says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Luke 4, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says this about himself. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Isn't this a message our world needs? Desperately, the world needs to hear this. In Manitoba, we need it a little bit, yes. But oppression is something that we are strangers with here in Manitoba. What do we know about oppression? Uh, John chapter 3. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes on him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus had such a clear mission, such a purpose for which he was sent to us. So we see that our Savior is someone who left his home to go and give his life to reach the lost. Our Savior left his home to go give his life to reach the lost. Let's consider one particular title of Christ. Hebrews 3.1 it's the only place in the Bible we see this title for Jesus. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So Jesus is called an apostle. He's also a teacher and a shepherd and a pastor and an evangelist. What is an apostle? Without getting too deep here, the Greek word is apostolos. And Strong's Concordance defines it as this. A messenger, one sent on a mission, an apostle, an envoy, a delegate, one commissioned by another to represent them in some way. So, for reference, think of the Mandalorian, quested to return Baby Yoda to its own kind. Or how about Hank Pym sending out Scott Lang to retrieve the yellow jacket suit as Ant-Man? Or in Narnia, Jill and Eustace, called by Aslan, come, find Prince Rillian. These are apostles. We've got so many reference points for them. It's important to understand what it means to be an apostle. So in this definition, we see how Jesus was the greatest apostle. He was sent as a representative of his father on a mission. And how he gave to his church, to all of us here, as his disciples, an apostolic commission. In this commission, we have likewise been given authority. And we have been sent out to represent our king. And to proclaim his good kingdom in a lost world. We are very ordinary, flawed people who are given divine authority and divine empowerment. God's plan of saving the world hinged on sending. David Livingstone said this, God had an only son and he made him a missionary. But God's plan wasn't just sending Jesus, but sending us too. We are his sent ones. And by appointing us like this, God multiplied the life of Jesus into millions of missionaries, his children who represent him in a lost world. At the end of John, chapter 17, chapter 20, Jesus says these two things. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me 
so I am sending you. These verses show us that being a follower of Jesus means to also be sent out, just like he was sent by his Father. The body of Christ is meant to be a body on the move as we go out into the world. So where exactly do we go? Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep. Who are we? We're sheep. As sheep in the midst of wolves. Never forget who you are. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We go into dangerous places where there are dangerous people. And this isn't something just for the believers that happen to draw the short straw. It's like, oh, i got to go to the hard place. No, this is Jesus' plan A for us as his church. He sends us two wolves. We're sheep. Is he crazy? Well, no, he's not. It's a crazy idea, though. This is plan A. This is the default. This is what we should be doing. This is what we're called to do. This isn't exceptional. This is normal for a follower of Christ to go to dangerous places. We've got to get that. It's so critical that we understand that. I like the quote that says, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Something else is more important than fear, and that's what courage is about. I'm not a fearless person at all. Most of you can probably recognize you're not entirely fearless. But we recognize something is more important, and that's the will of God. Matthew 28, the final command of Christ. Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. This makes our destination clear. All the nations. And this isn't countries. This is, the Greek word is ethnos. Ethnic people groups. All the people groups where there are no disciples yet following Jesus. This is our commission. And this isn't a confined or some exclusive command like Jesus telling Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. That was directed to Peter within a bigger group of the disciples. This commission is given to all the disciples, and it's repeated like ten times. Jesus wanted to be super clear. I want you to bring the gospel to every people group. It's a super clear command for the whole church. So, what's the main point? The main point is we follow a sent Savior who sends us to go out to the least and the lost just like he did. We follow a sent Savior who sends us out as well. In fact, finishing this particular task of bringing the good news to unreached people groups is going to usher his return to earth for the second time. Matthew 24.14 tells us, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. That's when the day of the Lord will come. But his return has taken a while, hasn't it? If you're flipping calendar pages with me, there's a lot of pages that have been flipped. So why is this? Well, God says it's because he's being patient. so that more people have a chance to repent. We're experiencing his mercy as the world. But in the same passage that we read that particular explanation... It also seems pretty implicit that the church has been slow to go out and to finish the job that we've been given. But I believe that we can change our pace on this highest priority task. And honestly, folks, in the last 40, 50 years, 
there's been a huge change of pace. You even just look at before the 1800s, there was almost nothing happening. There was the odd missionary story that you can pull out of history. Very little. But man, you get Count Zinzendorf, you get William Carey, and all of a sudden you start seeing mission organizations popping up. You see some exciting stuff happening. And in the last 50 years, it's going crazy. So we can change our pace on this task. 2 Peter 3.12 says that when we live holy and godly lives, we can hasten the day he is returning. We can hurry it along. Who doesn't want to speed up the return of Jesus? So we can set our goals for 2022, and we can align them with God's priority in this. But there's some barriers to us following Jesus out into the nations. I thought I would just talk about three of them this morning. May God speak to us and guide us as we look at these barriers towards removing them. The first one is secret sin. We can have it all together on the outside, but have an invisible ball and chain that we're dragging around that keeps us from thriving in God's will and on this task. We are meant to be ambassadors, but we could be held back. Addictions, idolatry can take many different forms. Is there anything the Holy Spirit is shining his light on into your life, into my life? Maybe a substance like weed or alcohol or pornography. Pornography holds back so many men from serving in God's mission. Or maybe it's more innocent things like shopping or video games, social media, or work achievements. They're not wrong in of themselves, but when we start to worship them, then they become wrong for us. A couple quotes here. C.S. Lewis said, as quoted in the book, Surfing for God, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, what a perspective. God gives us so much more. Here's another one from the author of that book, Michael John Cusick. He says, where in your life do you say, this is living? If you don't have something in your life that regularly inspires adventure, risk, and passion, beware. Because if you don't, you will seek the counterfeit. And here's Tim Keller from his book, Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything more important to you than God. That's a really simple definition that wipes away this idea. It has to be like a little gold character that's in our living room. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back. But they can be supplanted. By what? By God himself, of course. But by God, we do not mean a general belief in his existence. Most people have that, yet their souls are riddled with idols. What we need is a living encounter with God. I think that's probably why most of you are here this morning and online with us this morning. We don't need to be held back by secret sins. In the book of Hebrews, we're told to strip off every weight that slows us down. This ball and chain, just rip it off. 
especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And maybe the Holy Spirit has shone light into a certain area in your heart so that we can run the race before us. That's God's will, that we run. In James 5, God's word tells us to confess our sins to each other and get prayed for so we can be healed. If you have a secret sin, confess it to someone today. Don't pass into tomorrow with it staying a secret. And if you receive someone's confession, pray healing into their life according to God's word and his plan for them. Second area, disunity. This is another big barrier. Has anyone seen the Marvel movie Captain America Civil War? I'm not recommending that you do, I'm just asking. All right. <laughs> Good, so there's a, there's a few of us. So in the movie, Captain America and Iron Man are bitterly divided by Helmut Zemo from Sokovia. Zemo puts an issue in front of them. And he accomplishes getting them to almost destroy each other. It's a crazy scene. And the way this bad guy gets pleasure from their division really reminds me of the devil and his devices to weaken the church and get us to fight with each other so that he has free reign. There's a long list of things that threaten the unity of the church today. Currently, I would say COVID-19 kind of seems to top that list pretty easily. And it's important that churches talk about this threat to our unity. It's a hot topic. It's sensitive. I don't have all the answers. But I'm willing to misspeak just simply for the sake of speaking to the issue. If we don't talk about it and teach a biblical path through the crisis, it'll divide the church. And I'm not speaking of Calvary. I'm speaking of the church at large, but it includes Calvary. There are lots of people in the world with messages of blame or condemnation for all of us on this issue. Do we as believers also need to speak blame and condemnation to others? Certainly not. We are meant to serve side by side with other believers, not faced off against each other. And we can seek a new perspective. I was thinking yesterday, vaxxed and non-vaxxed is one way to delineate two groups. But it's not the only way. How about this perspective for creating two different camps? Divisive people and non-divisive people. Does that work? Can we try that? The ironic thing is that using this perspective automatically unites us with those of the opposite vax status as us. It's kind of fun. A vaxxed person who is divisive, lacking respect for others, is now united with unvaxed people who are also divisive. And both vaxxed and unvaxxed people who are not divisive, are properly now in the same camp as each other, free to work together in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it's very easy to change from that divisive camp over to the non-divisive camp. It's not a one-direction thing. So if Jesus showed up visibly here today with us, would his first question for us be, so what's your vaccination status? (laughs) I just can't see it happening. Or rather, would he ask, how are you doing at loving your neighbor as I love you today? I wonder if that would be more on his heart. What should mark us as believers? We should be just saturated and dripping with love for those around us. God wants our unity, not our uniformity. We don't all need to see the same perspective on issues. We don't need to concern ourselves with getting others on board with our own way of seeing things. Let's keep the kingdom of God. Let's keep loving others as our top priorities. The third barrier, short-sightedness. It's 
easy for anyone to drip, drift into less essential activities. And that's kind of the danger of not having some sort of goals and vision for your life. By default, most of us just do whatever is going to bring us the most comfort or the most pleasure or security or honor or whatever our particular bent is towards. But our gaze is sometimes too close or it's just too low and it's not lifted up to see the big picture. We tend, as humans, to help meet needs that we see and that's normal and good. But then we miss out on greater needs that exist outside of our immediate environment. So this is the reason why Jesus specifically tells us, lift up your eyes and see the fields ripe for harvest. Obeying this doesn't mean that you suddenly have to keep track of all the world events going on every day. Not at all. But how about just setting a goal of being 10% more aware of what's going on in other countries and cultures? And this short-sighted idea kind of brought back that lighthouse picture that someone in the church here shared last time I spoke in September. Just imagine that lighthouse room, that upper chamber, just having a light that, that lights up inside the room so that the lighthouse keeper can read his book, but it doesn't actually go out to sea. No, the purpose of a lighthouse is to cast that light out far. And it's not even a super strong light bulb. It's just the way the glass magnifies it that it goes so much further. And that's God's will for us, that we can see so much further than what's just in our immediate vicinity. On Friday, I got a phone call from a friend in Afghanistan. He was talking about how his life is in danger, how the country is out of control, and how the achievements from the past 20 years have all been lost now. Malnutrition is how families are selling one child so that they can feed the rest of the children. This is happening today. And we walk on the same planet as those families. It's the same ground. Lord, would you give us a global vision? Would you help us see the needs of the lost? Help us to see our rich resources we've been so blessed with. We want to eliminate barriers to walking out our calling as sent ones. And I was reading this last month in First Chronicles where it has kind of a strange name for God, Baal Perizim. I always thought Baal was for idols, but it's just a word that means Lord. Lord of Breakthrough. This is one of God's names, his titles. We had a few songs this morning about breakthrough. And I want to bless all of you today with a personal experience of breakthrough at God's hand in your life. We can also make choices that will accelerate and bring focus to our journey as disciples of Jesus who make more disciples. It's not just barriers. We can actually have kind of like power-ups. So I want to offer like five power-ups to you today to help focus on effective disciple-making among the nations. The first one, that we would see the harvest. See with strategic eyes. Joshua Project is the website lots of people go to when they want to kind of look at, at where are unreached people groups and do some research. Check it out if you haven't before. Or you can take the Excellent Perspectives course. There's another Perspectives course starting February 15th. For the next two weeks, it's a $100 early bird discount. So check that out. I highly recommend it. That will help you lift your eyes to the harvest in a great way. And here's a super smart innovation for churches to be able to prioritize resources and where to send them. If you go to the website, stratus.earth, and I think you can kind of see it. There's the name up there, stratus. Go to the website, stratus.earth. Log in. You can kind of click to launch this map here. And it takes a bunch of different factors like poverty levels, ongoing conflicts, 
persecution, presence of believers. And then it factors all these things in, education levels, environmental things, to determine the most strategic global needs. So I don't know if you can see here these top 10 countries. I wanted to show those. We've got Afghanistan, number one, then Yemen, then Somalia, then the Maldives, which you can't really see here, then Sudan, Pakistan, Syria, Iraq, Mauritania, and Chad. That's not Chad, is it? What's wrong here? Cameroon. Oh, it's just the same color as Libya, that's why. Okay, and Chad. All right. These are awesome countries to pray for. Let's just start there. If you want to pick a country, either as a community group, or as the youth group, or as a church family, or in your own home, pick one of these 10 countries here. It's a great place to start. Or pick a people group. That's the second, that's the second power up that we can look at. Extraordinary prayer. Jesus said, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus' opinion is that there are not enough missionaries out there. Let's just make it clear. That's what Jesus thinks. So yeah, I think adopting a country or people group for prayer, or even for going, is an excellent idea. And then you can watch God work in amazing ways as you pray. In the past few years, over 30 new house fellowships of believers have sprung up. I just heard this from one of our field leaders a month ago in a tough region in the Middle East, North Africa area. And this came from a concerted prayer focus. This is happening across the world, folks. So my question, in which untouched area of the world would you like to see the church flourish? Just pick one and pray into it. The third power up. Choose your friends wisely. First, prioritize friendships with those from other cultures. Step outside your comfort zone. And, of course, with people who are lost. Are all of your friends already believers? You might think it's a good thing, but that's actually a problem. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want to take you out of the world. He wants you to be in the world. Read John 17. He wants you to have friends who are not believers. Make sure you have some. It's just a good, healthy question to ask yourself every year. And prioritize spiritual friendships. There may be a place for physical distancing, but not for social distancing. We must stay tight with other believers, encouraging each other, keeping each other accountable with loving support, and keeping an outward vision instead of an inward vision. Another way to say this, we're sheep. We belong in a herd. Go off on your own and you'll get eaten. This isn't a threat, it's a fact. We're called sheep because as humans, we're vulnerable. We die easily. We get hurt easily. God knows it. We need a herd. We need a shepherd. Do everything you can to help send out more workers. Number four. Maybe it feels like there's too many unreached people groups. But do you know there's actually five million Bible-based churches in the world? So with 7,000 unreached people groups, we've got a 700 to 1 ratio of churches for each unreached people group. We can totally do this. William Carey wanted his senders to hold the ropes while he went down. It's a famous phrase. Someone else said, If we hope to see the Great Commission completed, we need a whole new army of non-missionaries. Senders whose lives are focused on facilitating the service of thousands of goers. 
That might already describe some of you here today. And let me just say, you'd be amazed to know how often Christian parents hold their kids back because of their own fears. So I think on this point, another great idea is just to default, to encourage our young people to get out into the wider world, to be salt and light, even in difficult places. Actually, especially in difficult places. Or if you're an older person, lead by example. Go out first. Show the young people how it's done. Bring the gift of your life experience to other countries. So the fifth power up here is go. This map shows us the 1040 window, which most of you have probably heard of before. This is the highest priority area for bringing the blessing of the kingdom of God. And anything is possible as you think of going. So length, go for a week, go for a month, go for a year, go for a decade. They're all options. People, you can work with kids, work with a deaf, work with trafficking survivors, work with nomads, work with university students. Where? You can work in deserts, mountains, island nations. You can work in remote villages. You can work in mega cities and slums. You can work on a ship. You can work in a refugee camp. And what activity? Well, do business, do teaching, tourism, counseling, sports, music, construction, agriculture. You name it. It's all an option. Every single gift of the Holy Spirit is needed. And the Great Commission is an all-hands-on-deck enterprise where everyone has a place to serve. Are you curious to find your fit? If you are, chat with me, chat with the pastoral team, chat with the Going Global team. It's Scott, Elisa, Darnell, and Christy. Find them, email them, text them. Um, Right now, currently, we're looking for a soccer coach, a homeschool helper, a business manager, a Bible teacher, a farmer. There's many other specific needs that we have right now today. Just getting down to business. God wants your life. He wants all of it. And if you give it to him, you'll get your best life at his hands, and it'll be the best for those around us. This is the simple way the world works. When we let go and give God control, he does amazing things with us. If you haven't given 100% of your life to God unreservedly, I encourage you to do that right now. Not tomorrow, not next year. Do it now. If there's anything left, just give it over. God, you can have that too. That's my invitation for you. Jesus promises you a rich and satisfying life. That's different from a comfort-packed life or a pleasure-packed life. Yeah, you're going to have joy, but it's going to be in the middle of difficulties. But it's going to be real. It's going to be authentic. It's the best human experience you can ever have when you're finally connected 100% to the person who created you and knows you best. So, at this point, I want to give away a brand new book, kind of as we're concluding here. This is for the church library. It's called Uncharted Mission. Um, I'm grateful for this partnership with Calvary. Um, I'm eager to see you thrive in the Great Commission, so I want to give this to the library. There's amazing stories of pioneering faith in here. Who wants to be the first person to read it? Who wants to read it first? Awesome, good. And then the band can come up now as well, just as I finish off here. Thanks, Dave. We follow a Savior who left his home to go out to the lost. And he's called us to do the same thing. Right now, today, 2022 is still a blank slate. These pages haven't been written yet, at least as far as we know. 
To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations with him, is what John Piper said. And I encourage you to filter your planning this year through the question, how can I best invest my life to propel the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth? The more people that collaborate on this particular question they're planning, the greater the multiplied impact. A unified body of Christ is bad news for the devil, and it means good news gets out to the lost. That's what we're looking for. The harvest is ripe today. We want to protect our unity. We want to be spirit-filled and strategic as we invest our lives for God's glory. I'm going to pray here, and then Greg, if you can... Take over the next song here. So, Father God, we just quiet our hearts before you. We invite you to speak to our lives here. You've been speaking all morning. We'd love to hear your voice. Continue speaking throughout this year. We commit 2022 to you. Speak to us. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Guide our steps. We choose to give ourselves unreservedly to you, 100%. God, I pray that Calvary would have the joy of sending out more workers to the harvest field. Give them that privilege, that pleasure of sending workers out. God, we pray that you would transform this world, transform the least and the lost, and bring your blessing to them through us. We worship you, we give you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.